Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. I want to continue the series that... uh... Pastor Broderick did start on, on James 4, the essential James, but I think, uh, as Dorothy mentioned, I would be remiss if I didn't in, in some way speak to, you know, what happened on, on last evening with uh, George Zimmerman. Um, it was one of those things for me, I think it was, it, was, it was near and dear to my heart because it was in 2005 that my brother was murdered on the streets of New Orleans, and um, only minutes after he was murdered, I was called to the scene to see his body while I still lay there. And that's one of those things that stays with me. That's one of those things that hurt my heart. To, to, see, to see that in many ways we still, you know, as, as, as brown, brown men, black men have been shown we have no value in a country that, you know, we helped to build. Um, I was first upset, honestly, as, as a, a black man, but I was convicted and reminded of something that, uh, you know, Pastor B did say that first and foremost, I'm a Christian. You know, first and foremost, I'm a, a man of God, and, and then it upset me even more. And it upset me in a way that it wasn't just about me or my son or losing my brother, but that in, in, the, in the realm of being a Christian, being someone who, who says that I'm called by Christ, that it's now up to me and to, to help others and to, for you to, to fight. You know, to fight on behalf of those who have been, have been shown that they're worthless, that have been shown that they have no worth in this place, so also for us to teach this country about what worth means not just about color, but just as human beings, just for us all to respect and to love one another just as human beings. And so I just wanted to make sure I spoke to that and just to challenge us all, you know, just beyond whatever, and what I felt last night was so visceral that I wanted to carry it, you know, but I didn't want to carry it in a way that was a carrying of hate, you know, but more about pushing me to love, to love that much harder, to love that much better, you know, have a, have a 16-year-old brother. And I wanted to love him that much better. I wanted to be in New Orleans by him that, on last night for that reason. And so instead of, uh, again, I was convicted and humbled that I need to watch where I allow my heart to go, you know, in times of anger and it's in times of, of extreme stress and to, to be called back to, you know, what God has called me to, to be and that's to, to love. You know, but not to love in a way that we've downplayed love with this, this hunky-dory, give-you-a-hug kind of thing, but also love means speaking truth to power. You know, love also means challenging immoral laws. Love means challenging those things that are not of God. So I um, just want to lay that on your hearts because it was on mine. And so with that, um, we're going to continue the series, Essential James. And we're going to call your attention to James chapter 4, where James talks about drawing close to God. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. So James says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. 
yet you don't want yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it and even when you ask you don't get it because your motives are all wrong you want only what you will give will give you pleasure you adulterers don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God I say it again if you want to be a friend of the world you make yourself an enemy of God what do you think the scriptures mean when they say the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires as scripture says God opposes the proud but favors the humble and so humble yourselves before God resist the devil and he will flee from you come close to God and God will come close to you wash your hands you sinners purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world let there be tears for what you've done let there be sorrow and deep grief let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy and I like to focus here on verse 10 where humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor so how many of us have been in a place in life where something has come along and humbled you this by a show of hands where you've been humbled by a circumstance or situation anything and I think we've all been there one of the things that uh, that brings me back to center that humbles me much of the time is uh, this is an incident actually was a uh, when I was 19 at the age of 19 I was in this state of severe depression I mean like the, the deepest and the lowest that I've ever been and it got to a point where I, this, was, this is at 19 I began to feel this this pull or, or call in my life to preach whatever whatever you want to call it but there was something in me that was tugging tugging at my spirit to do something a little bit more and uh, the pressure of it at many times seemed to be too much I didn't feel like I was worthy of do, doing such a thing. It was that on top of the fact that my parents had both abandoned me. My father was gone before I was ever born. My mother left my older brother and I when I was 12 years old. You know, my mother and I have since reconciled, you know, um, and I love my mother. But with that, I had this sense of unworthiness, of abandonment, and I also wanted to try to keep control of my emotion. And so I didn't want to be vulnerable with anyone, and that included God. And so I had this, this, this falsified persona of, thinking that I was, I was strong, but all on my own, strong and all on my own strength. If I think about the word humble, it has its root in the Latin, you know, humilis, which means low or down. And even that has a further root in the word humus, which means earth. And so if we look at that, then the word humble simply means what we would call down to earth. And so if we humble ourselves, we need to bring ourselves down to earth. But as I was talking about, uh, and being 19 and, and being that low, in dealing with that kind of pressure, I eventually found myself um, sitting on the side of my bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I had a glass of water in one hand and a bottle of Walgreens brand sleeping pills in the other, the 32 pills in the bottle. And I began to pop these pills two at a time. And as I was taking these pills, I said, God, if there's, if there's anything, if there's any reason for me to be here, then you won't let me die tonight. Lord, if there's any, if there's any purpose for me, 
you won't let me leave here. And so I eventually I've taken all 32, and with that, I, I laid down. I laid down to die. And at 4.56 a.m., I woke up. And honestly, when I think about that, that alone will preach. You know, just the fact that I woke up, and I'm thankful. But when I woke up, I was paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't move any part of my body. And if I could be really frank and really transparent, the first thought that came to my head was, oh, I'm really about to die. And I began to fight. I began to fight to live because I realized that God had shown me that there was some purpose. And I fought to stand, and I fell down, and I fought to stand again, and I fell down again, and finally I blacked out. The next thing I knew, I was leaning over the toilet, puking up blood and whatever else was left in my stomach of the pills. And I blacked out again. Before long after that, I woke up again, and it was, the sun was shining outside, and I eventually had to go to the hospital, to the psych ward. You know, it was only enough for hours, but in that time, I had to drink a milkshake of tar out of a styrofoam cup that was this big. And I think about that moment, and I'm humbled. You know, I'm humbled. I'm humbled by God's grace. I'm humbled by the fact that I shouldn't be here, that I don't deserve to be here. And it's this moment I share it that brings me back to center. It brings me back when I find myself slipping, when I find myself leaning a little bit too far to the left, when I find myself getting too far away from God, when I find myself tempted by things that aren't of God, it brings me back. It helps me to bring myself down to earth. If we look further at the text, we, um, we see the fact that one of the things that we need to do when trying to humble ourselves is to check our motives. You know, in doing, in doing that, you're asking yourself, why? why? Why am I praying for this? Why am I asking? What is it that I really want? Was it, what is it that I'm truly, truly searching for? And I think in doing that, we have to remember that grace and humbling ourselves, grace offers us a chance to avoid tragedy, to avoid travesty, to avoid being in a place of being so low that you think it's, that you should leave or that you should take someone else's life. That grace offers that chance. I think we've all prayed for things. I think we've all wanted things that we didn't really need or wanted something to end in some way or another. I think about, well, and even in praying about my, my depression, I used to pray and on my face and say, God, please take it. You know, take it away. Take this away from me. You know, take this cup from me. And in thinking about it, I realized that many times when I was praying, I was really praying with the wrong motive. I was praying for what to be taken without doing any work. I was praying for what to be taken without really dealing with the heart issues and the spirit issues that I had going on. And so in many ways, it was left there in order to humble me. And finally, God did remove it from me, but I had to go through the process. I had to be willing to really humble myself to say, God, this is what I'm really dealing with. I'm angry with my father. I'm angry with my mother. I'm angry at life. You know, I had, I had to face myself. And it wasn't until then that God did grant that grace. I had these abandonment issues, and with that, again, I said I had control issues, and so I had an issue with submission. If we 
think about this idea of, you know, as I said, of checking our motives. You know, honestly, it's, it's, it's countercultural to really ask yourself, why do I want this? Why am I asking for it? Because everything that we see inundates us, that you have to have it. You got to have the next big thing. If you got a phone, you better have an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy. And if you got one, it better be the newest one. Because if you don't, you're nobody. If you got a car, you better have a big car, or you better have the best car. If you got a house, you need more house. I've, I've known people that have had two people in a house with 15 rooms. You got to have more. You have to have more. Because if not, then who are you? I've worked so hard and I've done so much that I, I deserve these things. And I want you to understand me. I'm not saying that this is in any way any kind of indictment of having nice things. I'm not saying that. The scripture is also not saying that. What it is trying to tell you is that God doesn't want you to find value in your things. That God wants you to find value in God, to find your value in God. And so again, you have to ask yourself why are you asking. Now, whenever I think about that, I think about my grandma would always say, you know, uh, you can chase after things all your life, but remember that there are no armored cars in the funeral line. You know, that it, it won't go with you. But if you ask yourself, if you check your motives, you ask yourself, am I, am I doing this because it makes me appear more wealthy? Am I doing this because it makes me feel more attractive? Am I doing this because I'm lazy? Why are you asking? And essentially the reason that you're asking is lust. You're lusting. And we often take that word into this context of only meaning for sexual desire, but to lust means to long for. To lust means to, to obsessively long for something that's, that's essentially not even supposed to be yours. And that's why James goes on, he goes on to say that we are adulterers. So essentially we're cheating, we're cheating on God. And the reason he calls us adulterers is that if you call yourself a Christian, then you're a part of the church. And as a part of the church, you're a part of the bride of Christ. And if you're focusing your energy on trying to get anything else other than Jesus, then we ain't doing nothing but cheating. But even with that in mind, I'm thankful that, uh, that James offers some hope, that he offers that hope. He offers hope through grace. Because as much as we long for and wrongfully lust after the world, uh, things that God doesn't want us to have, you know, the Scripture reminds us that God longs just as much for us. So while we spend our energy on wanting things and wanting things that aren't of God, God still longs for us. And even more, the Spirit that's in us longs for God. And that's why you find this war, this war going on inside you, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, your spirit longs for God, and you're trying to fill it with things or people. James reminds us in verse 7 that pride and grace don't mix. See, pride may lead you to believe that grace is a sort of license to sin, and that no matter what I do, God knows my heart. And see, if you think that, if you think that way, if you think that, okay, I can do whatever I want, God knows my heart, yes. Yes, God knows your heart. God knows your heart is jacked up. God knows your heart ain't right. And in many ways, you do too. And so again, it causes you to check your motives. But on the contrary, if we fully accept God's grace, if we fully accept it and realize that it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God, that's when we find ourselves humbled. We realize that God's grace exists in spite of, that it exists in spite of our coveting, it exists in spite of our fighting, our quarreling, 
It exists in spite of our lust and our jacked up hearts at times. God's grace abounds in spite of. See, pride leads you to believe that God owes you, while humility allows you to see that grace abounds in spite of you. Pride leads you to believe that God owes you. Humility allows you to see that grace abounds in spite of you. See, this alone should cause us just to to humble ourselves, to, to bring yourself down low. It should bring you down to earth. James goes on to write that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And here, here again, we have that call. We have that call to, to humble ourselves and to fully embrace the gift and the magnitude that we call grace. I've heard grace um, defined as undeserved, uh, unmerited favor. So in many ways, you can't do anything to get it. It is God's gift. But all God is calling for you to do is to repent. That all God's calling for you to do is to say, I'm sorry. And that's, that's the only price. And in doing that, the word says that you should submit. Submit. So there's this, this idea about submission. I think that we're, we're all familiar with it, you know, in, in theory. I think we're all familiar with it in, uh, in the idea, but I think especially in, in the context that we live in, a country that we live in, it's a, it's a difficult thing to really grasp. You know, what does it mean to really submit, to let go, to let God? And we've often heard, of, you know, one of those things that, uh, that women may have issues with in marriage, and that's, that's the way a lot of people highlight it. But at the end of the day, we men suffer with it too because we're always taught and indoctrinated that, you know, it's all about pride, strength, provision, control, and it becomes a hindrance, it becomes an encumbrance to block, a blockade between you and God. So what does it really mean to, to submit? I talked before about having a serious issue with control, and even beyond just my, how it led me to depression and, and subsequent suicide attempt. It also just affected me in other parts of my life. I remember just not wanting to, to ask for help. You know, no matter how bad it got, I would call on God and I'd say, God, help me. You know, help me out of this situation. But even in that prayer, I had to check my motives. Because I would call on God and I'd say, help me out of this situation. But in, in essence, I was, I was asking God to give me a way to help myself. You know, give me a way to earn it. You know, give me a way to earn my way out of this. And a lot of times it wouldn't happen. Not because God didn't love me or because God didn't want that to happen for me, but I needed to check myself. Because at the end of it, I was really telling, I would tell God, okay, I just, God, I just, I just want to be self-sufficient. You know, I just, want to, I just want to pray to you and be self-sufficient. But at the end of the day, I was lying to myself. I was lying. Because essentially, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't want to let anybody in and know what was going on in my life. And it got to a point, I mean, I brought that into a marriage. And so with that, I found myself one day, one of the things I remember most, before my wife and I moved out here, I was teaching, I was an art teacher. But I quit my job in anticipation of moving out here to, to attend seminary. So the job kind of ended in June, and they would pay me until August. And I was going to move out here in August, you know, spring, or fall, fall rather, to, uh, to start seminary. But things didn't work out that way. I had to wait another semester in order to get some things cleared up with student loans. And so if you're doing the math, that means my paycheck ended in August, I wasn't going to start school until January. So you have that many months with no steady pay. And it got bad. It got real bad. It got to a point where I, my wife said she doesn't even remember this, which is it's almost like it. 
that's how I'm letting this off. But uh, I remember just being in the kitchen one day and there was no food. And so I went in the cabinet and opened up some breadcrumbs and poured them into my hand and ate them. That was all we had. You know, like, and if, you, if you're right now, if you're feeling sorry for me in any way for doing that, don't. I was a fool. I was a fool. And what that moment did for me was that it, it, it brought me to a place of realizing, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing this. This is ridiculous. I have to call on somebody. And I think at that moment is where God got me right where he wanted me. It's that God got me exactly where he wanted me to be. Of being in the place of having to call on somebody. That somebody has to come in and help me. Because often what we don't realize is that when God helps, he helps through friends. He helps through family. He helps through people. That he causes people to pour into you. People to pour into your life. What I was really fighting was just that I didn't want God to push me into community because pushing me into community meant I had to be vulnerable. Pushing me into community meant I had to admit that I had some issues going on. Pushing me into community had to bring me to a place where I had to admit that there's something wrong with me. And I had to admit that to somebody else. Appreciate it. But I thank God for grace. You know, I, I thank God that I'm in a place that I'm learning. I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning to let go. Still learning to lean without feeling weak. Still learning that. And leaning is when we're really strong. It wasn't until I realized I had to take my hands off. I had to raise my hands, take them off, and say, God, take it. It wasn't until then I really learned what it meant to submit and to really have my life changed. And when I find myself in those kind of moments, again, I try to bring myself back to center. I bring myself back to that moment. I bring myself back to 3 a.m., August 3rd, 2001, sitting on the side of the bed with a glass of water in one hand, a bottle of pills in the other. And it helps me to remember that I literally should be dead. So not this thing where, like, you know, I don't deserve to be here where it's like this metaphysical, super spiritual thing. No, I should be in a wall. My brother right now is in a wall. And I chose and I had made decisions and choices that were going to lead me to the same place. And when I think about that, I'm humbled. I'm brought back down to earth. And secondly, I reminded that I was bought with a great price. That this life is not my own because Jesus paid. Jesus paid for it. And when I'm reminded of that again, I'm humbled and I have to realize and have to admit that I have to let go of my ignorance, my pain. My arrogance. When we think about things like our pain, our arrogance, our issues, we often make gods of our issues. You know, whatever the problem may be, you make a god out of that instead of telling God about the issue. That you make a god out of the worry. And we surrender to our problems instead of surrendering to God. See, our pride not only causes us to operate in entitlement, it also causes us to believe that we can handle it on our own. I got it. I got it. I can handle it. I can deal with this. You may find yourself, um, you know, getting a little bit too close to that coworker, or getting too close to that friend. Or you may find yourself wanting to spend money, money that you don't have on things you don't need. But somewhere on the inside, instead of leaning on God and saying, God, uh, this, is my, this is my pet issue. This is the thing I can't do on my own. Something inside you says, I got it. I can handle this. 
I can deal with it. And again, you're just trying to fill a void that can only be filled by God. I, I want to challenge you today to take your hands off. That whatever that issue is, take your hands off of it. Next, the scripture says that we should resist the devil and draw near to God. See, the second part of verse 7 charges us to resist. I like the way the Message Bible translated it. It says to yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes, a quiet yes to God and watch him come near. You see, this passage right here, I think it always destroys that idea. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. In many ways, the enemy wants you to believe that he's big and bad and bold and and cause you to do these things that you don't really want to do. But the word says that he'll scamper, that he'll run if you resist him. But you can't do the resisting without the submission. Because if you resist on your own, you're wasting your time. It becomes a joke. The devil laughs at you that you must first submit your power to God who is all-powerful and in that you can resist and that you can say no no not this time you're not getting me this time and when that's done when you stand firm on who you are in God stand firm on what you believe then that that's where that's where the power lies it reminds us next that we can draw near and I say so James gives us an example how, how, do, how do you draw near how do we draw near to God he offers this idea of purify your hearts grieve mourn well change your laughter change your mourning to mourning and our joy to gloom now James is not saying this how we should go through life not at all not by any stretch of the imagination but it's more about the process that process of saying God okay I'll go through these things in order to show you that I'm sorry that I submit my heart to you. One of the things I want to offer you as far as really keeping yourself and getting your place, yourself into a place of submission is to just remember who brought you to the dance. Remember who brought you out of Egypt. And that's, that's exactly, again, what that, that moment does for me. It's a centering point. It's, it's, a, it's a place that allows me to, to check myself. And in bringing yourself back to center, it's a, it's a, a good way, to, for, a good idea to be discerning of when you're getting too far out there. You know, be discerning of when you're losing yourself. Be discerning of when things are getting out of hand. And some of the things you can do is to ask yourself, you know, where has God bought me from? What is that moment or moments that bring me back down to earth? What instances uh, in your life can you recall that help you to remember God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's power, and subsequently make you fall flat on your face and say, I'm sorry. I want to offer you the parable of the, the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter as it fits. And you can find it in, in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. So this is a story that Jesus is telling. It says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now. 
before I die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both you, against heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. I just want to offer you today not to wait. You know, don't, don't wait until the situation gets so bad that life knocks you on your butt. That the Lord allows life to come in and remind you of who the Lord truly is. Don't wait until you're standing in a pig pen wearing rags, wishing the pigs would share their slop. God is waiting for you with arms wide open, with grace. Humble yourselves before the Lord. That's verse 10. He will lift you up. That's poetic. Because if you remember, the original definition of, of humble was to Bring yourself low, down to earth. And when you bring yourself low, when you're willing to assume a posture of lowness, of humility, God will bring you up. When you voluntarily assume a position of submission, God will voluntarily exalt you in grace. Amen. Let us... Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We, we pray right now, Lord God, that it will not go out, Lord, that it will not return into you void, that it would do the work that you set out for it to do. Lord, and when we leave this place, Lord God, remember the things that you have said, Lord God, the things that are written in your word, that it would change our hearts, that it would change our minds, that it would remind us, Lord God, to lower ourselves to bring ourselves into submission, to bring ourselves, Lord God, to a place that we realize we can't do this on our own, and bring us to a place, Lord God, where we find ourselves wanting, longing, lusting, Lord, that we will check ourselves. 
allow ourselves to be checked. We just ask you right now, my God, that you would be with us as we leave this place. Keep our hearts and minds stayed on you, Lord. Let our lives be a life of worship. Let it be a life, Lord God, that is illustrative of praying without ceasing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.